Hey again, travel bosses. I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, TripStreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about TripStreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie-flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny Esty. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 157 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Devani Rendezvous, is it? <laughs> Rizendis. Rizendis. So, where are we, Devani? That is a very good question. <laughs> we are at a beautiful beach resort in the Komodo Islands mm-hmm. yeah. in Indonesia. So, Devani is originally from San Diego, and... Has been traveling with her fiance Alex, aka Frenchie, for the last fourteen months. Yes, mm. and we met yesterday on a dive boat here in Komodo. Yeah, beautiful Komodo. <laughs> so the reason why I wanted to have you on is um, every week I have on a different kind of traveler mm-hmm. guest, and most of them are what you would call like a digital nomad, someone who's working while traveling. Ah, uh, yes. But it's really cool to see and kind of hear from someone who. I've done like more of the traditional route, mm-hmm. which is you worked as a bar manager for, for how long to save up for this trip? Eight years. That's a plus, long time, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, eight years in the same place. It's been about probably 12 overall. That's crazy. Okay. And, but San Diego is a beautiful place. It is. People always ask me why I even left San Diego to travel because it is in itself a, a travel destination. And I always kind of, for me, I I love San Diego. I'm really excited to go back. And I find there's so much stuff to do there. We have the ocean. There's snowboarding. There's boating. We have a great party scene. But I love going to see different cultures. So it's more about traveling to other obscure destinations, doing more diving, and seeing the people that I meet, as well as the locals that you you meet along travel. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, And... Kind of regarding the first part, literally two minutes ago, those two French girls asked where I was from, and I said California, and they said, "Oh, you don't even need a vacation." <laughs> and it's funny because they're from France, which to an American we think of their place, you know, not needing a vacation. We're like, uh, "Oh, true. you live in, you know, you live in <laughs> France. That's amazing." You know, not only do you have Paris, but you have like the back country. You have like the Alps. You have all you know all these amazing things, and you have all of Europe. True. So I think it's pretty safe to say that like wherever you're from, you want to see something else. That's true. <laughs> well, I think it's that way with, with people that enjoy traveling. There are plenty of people that love to, things to remain exactly as they are all the time. For people you meet that like to travel, they want to see a bit of everything. And they want the winter. They want the summer. They want everything. I think that's how I am. Always, always moving, loving it all. <laughs> I think the biggest downside, California, it's not bad. I think it's definitely a, an upside for most people. But downside for me is we don't have any seasons. Yes, that is a huge downside for me. <laughs> and to other people, they're like, that's great. It's warm all year round. <laughs> yeah. But it's a downside because, first off, it gets a bit mundane, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I feel like years can pass without really feeling any, like anything changes. 
That's very true. I also think originally I am from Boston, but I moved to San Diego 15 years ago. So when I visit friends from Boston, they have, they'll tell me ahead of time, you need to let us know your vacation plans by April for the summer because we have every single weekend booked. We have only 14 weekends of summer, 14 weekends of good weather, and it's all pre-planned. And one thing that's very good about when you have seasons and you only have 14 weeks of vacation, it makes them do things. In San Diego, I myself sometimes am a flake as well as everyone I know. We'll say, let's do it. Oh, tomorrow becomes tomorrow, tomorrow, because every day is beautiful. You can do it every day. When I lived in LA, even though it was, you know, I was technically probably only like 20 miles from the beach, but it takes an hour to get there. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I realized that none of us ever went to the beach. We would go maybe <laughs> like two or three times a year. Yeah. And I was like, we don't even, we don't need to live this close to the beach if we're never going to go anyways. Yeah. There are people that live in middle America or other places that go to nice beaches way more often than we do, even though yeah. we're, you know, 20 miles away. True. True. Because even, I mean, I was very lucky the last few years I've lived only maybe half a block to the ocean. So I'd get to see the sunset every day. But prior to that, I lived only 20 minutes from the ocean. And I realized two months had gone by and I had not seen the beach. I was 20 minutes. It's nothing. That's shorter than most people's commute. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and we just kind of get used to it. Like, and, you know, and I think you're right when you say we think, oh, we can go next time. We can go tomorrow. We can go anytime. So we just never, we don't go anytime. And I, as, as much as it's annoying to have these short visas in all these countries we visit, yes. <laughs> it forces us to make the most of it. That is true. And I think that's almost kind of a blessing in disguise. And I think that's, that is why most countries, do relatively short visas is because they want to force people to do as much as they can and see as much as they can in that 30 or 60 days. True. That's a good point. I never really thought of it that way. But in all of our very short visas is when we've done the most, seen the most of the country, now that you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. And then if you have, you know, let's say you want to come back, you can go make a visa run. But then when you come back, you end up spending not only, you know, money on transport, uh, airport taxes, you know, you probably get you'll probably get a hotel instead of getting a, like a long term lease. Um, you'll spend you know money kind of like seeing other places or other things. So I, I think for the economy or for like a tourism point of view, I think they are smart to have you know thirty or sixty day yeah. visas. I think though that with kind of the rise of people who are more location dependent and slower travelers now, mm -hmm. I think that they should always have 60 days, maybe even 90 days yeah. versus trying to get people in and out in 30, which is just right. stupid. I agree with you. Uh, most people that I've known that have worked while traveling are either doing one of two options. They're either working locally for basically pennies uh, or they're doing things like working on the internet. And that means that they're going to need to stay in one place for a longer period of time and they're going to be working. So they're going to be exploring the area at a slower pace, so more days would be significantly beneficial for them. But I, but I also do think that it's not unfair for them to make, force us to travel every 90 days because I think every 90 days people should take a break and take vacation anyways. <laughs> every 90 days of vacation from vacation. Yeah, that, that makes a good point. Uh, I have a, have a close friend from Honduras, and she has what I would consider the ultimate work-life fantasy. She owns a bar with two other friends, so three owners, and they all work two months off on one month off. 
So she works two months and then she vacations for 30 days and then comes back two months and vacations for 30 days. And she's been doing this for over 10 years now. That's I think nice. that's Because a-, a month is a great <laughs> amount of time because yeah. it's not like a two-week vacation where you probably don't want to fly to Asia and back. Right, right. In a month, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you know where she's been? Oh, my gosh. She has literally been all over the world. And almost every trip she takes is a complete is completely different from the time before. I know recently she did one month in Ireland over the past year, one month in the Galapagos Islands. Uh, she was in Taiwan for a month, and that's just in the last year, three of her vacations. So, so Galapagos <laughs> is one of the... I don't want to say the last, because I keep adding more places as I... Of course. <laughs> as I travel, and I think that's the hardest thing about travel. The reason why you can't really stop ever yes. is... You can make a list of places you want to go, but every place you go, that list gets longer because you meet other that people who travel. Absolutely true. Uh, especially for me, when I first started traveling, it was that poor 21, 22 year old that would eat cans of tuna and meet random strangers and sleep on their couch so that I had a place. And as the years have gone by, I always thought, oh, you know, eventually I'm going to stop that. I'm going to get the career job. I'm going to buy the house. After every big trip, I've said that's that's the last I'm going to, you know, essentially get my stuff together, as people say, and move on. And then, nope, <laughs> never going to happen. It just makes me too happy to travel. I just can't imagine really stopping. Every time I meet someone new, I do add at least five more places to the list. I do think the Galapagos are the absolute pinnacle. It's like the ultimate dream for diving for me. I haven't been either. And I think part of me wants to save it for the end because I have such high hopes. I want to see, you know, the hammerhead sharks all swimming above me. I want to see the, uh, was it the lizard they have? The swimming iguanas? Ugh. I mean, it's just, I think it's the ultimate fantasy for any diver. Yeah, me as well. So Galapagos is like the top pinnacle for me to go diving in. Super expensive, and it's hard yeah. to get to. It's an island off of Ecuador, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of in the well, middle of nowhere. off of Ecuador, but it's not really off anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the middle of the, the ocean. Uh, it's expensive. Yeah. It's, and if you guys don't know, it's where Charles Darwin went to do all of his research. Yes. Theory of evolution was born there. That's true. It's not a theory. Evolution was <laughs> <Yes>. born there. <laughs> Anyone listening to this, evolution is real. <laughs> okay, so one place I've added to my list being here in Komodo, which I didn't even, I think I might have heard the name before, but I, I had zero desire to go, but now it's on my list is Raja Ampot. Yes. It actually, I didn't know anything about it myself until this trip, but uh, my fiance and I have already added it and we're going in two weeks because we heard such amazing things about it. We thought we're already here. We're in Indonesia. We might as well go. We don't want to, uh, I would love to come back to Indonesia, but this one's happening now. <laughs> I like it. All right. I, I'm just going to save it for future year. Yes. Um, so Raja Ampat, if you guys never heard of it, don't worry. I think most people haven't. Yeah. Uh, it's far east Indonesia, almost to Papua New Guinea. Yes. It's actually still part. It's actually on New Guinea, but on the very tip of New Guinea, and it's on the Indonesian side. Okay. And the way I heard about it was when I was researching best dive sites in Komodo or, you know, where should I dive in Komodo? Everybody said, Komodo's great, but Raja Ampat is better. 
Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and that if they could only choose one or the other, they would choose Rajamabad. Yes. Well, I'll have to get back to you on whether it's better now that I've dove in Komodo. Uh, it's certainly much, much more expensive than Komodo. So I hope that it lives up to that. <laughs> but I think at this level of diving, it, it, it's literally like comparing what's better, the Ferrari or the Lamborghini. That's true. That's absolutely true. Because Komodo has been, I've already been blown away. This is definitely been the best experiences with manta rays I've ever had. And I've dove with mantas in Thailand, in three different islands in French Polynesia, which is some of the best diving in the world. And the experience here, actually, and Philippines. Yeah, I think that's it for me. But like, what made it better for you? They were incredibly close. We were in shallow water and you could just stay on the bottom and you do nothing and they'll come right up to you. They're very smart, very curious creatures. So they would just fly over our heads. I was able to see them from the top of them to the mouth coming in my face to literally brushing right over my face. And I could see every gill as they breathe in and out. It was unbelievable. So if you guys have never seen a manta ray before, pause this and Google it. Or just imagine this giant flying stingray that could be what, 15 feet wide? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, like the size of a car flying over you and it's graceful. They kind of look like um, like a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually do because the front, their eyes are very wide apart and they have, I don't know, almost like they're not all, like mouthpiece, like lip pieces that hang out in front of them as their mouth is wide open as they're kind of inhaling water to sift through animals they're eating. <laughs> and if you haven't, I mean, it's if you've never seen one or heard of it and you just kind of random, like, like if you're the first person to ever see one, you would think it's a space alien. Like, it really looks like something out, out of out of space. <laughs> and I've seen, I've seen them. I've been very fortunate to see them um, in a bunch of places as well. Mm-hmm. I would say I've definitely seen more here than anywhere in the world combined. And I've had a thousand dives now, so I've seen a lot. <laughs> Um, the first one I saw, and you know, maybe it's because it's the first that you're kind of nostalgic, but the first time I saw it was in Koh Lanta in Thailand. Okay. And I, I th- saw it there like two months yeah. ago. <laughs> and I think the reason why I preferred that mm-hmm. was because first there are different breed of mantas. Mm-hmm. The ones here are reef mantas. So they're always around, mm-hmm. which is good if you want to see them all the time. Right. Um, but something about them being an oceanic manta that you know it's migrating, it feels like you're so lucky to have happen to see it while you're there. Yes, that's true. You know, I didn't think about it that way. The only place I've seen the oceanic was also Colanta. And they were way um, bigger, the oceanic they, ones. They were much bigger. Unfortunately for my experiences, I didn't get nearly as close. So it was almost like this mystical creature that I saw from relatively close, but mm-hmm. still a distance where I thought, is that real? But today and yesterday, I mean, we spent 65 minutes solely in one position while like 12 different mantas flew above us. It was just... <laughs> yeah, I would say if you guys don't mind spending an entire season on Colanta and doing like maybe 100 dives with the yeah. chance of seeing one, it might be an incredible experience. True. <laughs> uh, or you can come here and pretty much be guaranteed to see them. <laughs> and I-, I think it'll blow your mind either yeah, way. Absolutely. I, I just can't believe what a large animal can be so graceful. They're just more, 
It's like watching a bird soar is the way I would describe it. It looks like an eagle that's just circling and, and taking the wind, the way the wings are, are kind of flowing, as opposed to a dolphin is still very graceful, but definitely a lot more motion. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And, and it's, it's something you guys have to experience. And unfortunately, there's less and less every year. Our seas are getting fucked from over commercial fishing and kind of unsustainable practices. And you guys have to go see it now. Yeah. Like, especially yeah. a scientist was recently here talking about, she's doing her PhD right now on mantas. So she was talking about one of the most harmful things is all the plastic that are in the water. So it's plastic that either has flown off of boats is trash that has most of it is from land trash it's land trash that is getting flushed in especially in riverways and so these particles are so tiny by by 2050 there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish and so these are animals that constantly have their mouth open and they're breathing in these little pieces of plastic i mean i i suppose most of the fish we eat from the ocean still has plastic and we're consuming it as well yeah so that's terrible and Indonesia is pretty bad about having plastic on beaches yeah. and then in the ocean it's it, it's pretty bad but it's not as bad as Malaysia. Yeah, that's true. And which isn't saying much, but yeah. <laughs> I am proud of the Indonesian kind of government or whatever whoever the policymakers are. Mm-hmm. They they seem like they're doing a very good job protecting Komo- yeah. Komodo. Yeah, they have been and the way the scientists described it to us, they've been really trying to educate people not just on trash but about cleaning out the the riverbeds before that trash flows into the ocean right before the storm season right before the the wet season happens so that because that's where most of the trash i think she said 80 percent in the water here is coming from that yeah and unfortunately a lot of it is things like single use um cups of water yeah <laughs> that not only is the cup plastic but then there's like this peel off plastic on top, yeah. and then you have a plastic straw that you have to use, and that has a plastic wrapper as well. Yeah. So you have four separate pieces of plastic <laughs> just to have a single, like, six-ounce serving of water True. in a bottle <laughs> that can't even be refilled. True. And the straws themselves, I think, are one of the worst. They always show you how the straws can get stuck up. I've seen them stuck above turtle noses, mm-hmm. where they got to went seriously straight up the nostril into the brain. Oh, so I bad. mean... The straw straws are actually kind of useless. You don't really ever need a straw, I suppose. Well, okay, so uh, I, I think I saw a TED talk from two Indonesian girls, young girls, who you know basically showed how bad the plastic was, and then like vow, like you know begged their their country and the government for change. Mm-hmm. And I think Bali has listened because okay. all the time I spend in Bali, especially in Ubud, but I think most of it. A very little plastic is being given away used now. Oh, yeah. uh, no plastic bags. Um, a lot of places don't... I guess there's still plastic bottles, but uh, one thing I did notice was most places didn't have plastic straws, mm-hmm. which in theory is a great thing, mm-hmm. but to be honest, it was a pain in the ass because there's some things you need a straw for. Like when you drink a coconut or when you oh, drink okay. like a coconut shake or something. Yeah. I will give you the coconut. Uh Scorp- well, yeah. Shared scorpion bowl is another one of those. You need the... What's, what's a scorpion bowl? <laughs> a gigantic... Uh, maybe four people can consume the the alcoholic beverage. It's oh, like the- a fish bowl. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, th- so there are times you need straws. True. But because they banned it, what they started doing is they started having like paper straws, oh, which yeah. works for about two seconds. Yeah, and then they it do not disintegrating. last. Mm-hmm. And then they have glass straws, which... Mm-hmm. Seems like a good idea, except for like you're afraid of it breaking, number one. But the second, 
they have they have to sell these glass straw cleaners to clean this out of yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's true. Because I've even seen the pl- the hard plastic, the ones supposedly that can go with the dishwasher, mm-hmm. and you cannot once you've had one smoothie in there, you cannot get everything out of the inside. You yeah, have like a special cleaning device. So I don't think the I don't think the solution is to to ban plastic straws. I think I think what it should be is. First, if there has to be some type of biodegradable plastic, they have it for plastic bags ready now. Yeah. Um, and to pr- like, I don't know how they make it. I think it's made out of cassava root flour. Oh wow! And I thought that I would use it for like a day and then it would disintegrate. Mm-hmm. But I've been traveling with it and carrying stuff yeah. in it, and it's still fine. It's strong. <laughs> it's like this weird. Like you could you could feel it's not normal plastic, but it mm-hmm. works fine. So that has to be. Away, and the second thing I think they should do is I think they should implement. And I'm not a big fan of of extra taxes, but I think we should tax things like cigarettes or mm-hmm. plastics that are kind of harmful, right? Uh, either to people or to the environment. So if they were to implement some kind of plastic tax for like disposable one-time use plastic mm-hmm. products, and then use that money to fund you know cleanups, either riverbed or ocean cleanups, or you know proper disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'd be all for that. Yeah, no, that that actually sounds like a, a great idea. Uh, it's amazing to me that more developing countries have started implementing no plastic bag policies, whereas already developed countries, <laughs> like the states, many, many states still have plenty of plastic. You go grocery shopping, everything will come to you in plastic bags, and you all of a sudden have 10 a, oh, 10 a week. That's true. But uh, I think at the same time, I hardly ever see... Like plastic bags in the U.S. like littered somewhere, but in Asia, especially like Malaysia, uh, I guess Indonesia as well. That like it's like people just. I don't think they have a good waste management system. Like right. in the U.S., I don't know what they do with the plastic bags, mm-hmm. but they somehow dispose of either landfill, right. which you know maybe it's not the best thing, but it's not just going right. into nature into the riverbeds. Versus in Asia, in Thailand, in Indonesia, and Malaysia. I see that stuff all over the ground, all over the right. forest, all over in riverbeds. It's terrible. In, in the water, in the beach, yeah. it's terrible. Well, I think one of the main reason that is, is the way people view trash in those countries. Because people have viewed no, no littering in, in, say, the States for such a long time, the way I have always viewed trash is you, you never litter, you throw it in the rubbish bin. And in a lot of other countries, they don't view trash that way. They just dispose of it everywhere because they haven't had a good, a good trash system to clean away their trash. And someone explained it to me that I had a, a banana peel and I watched someone throw the banana peel. I'm sorry, it wasn't a, it was a banana peel and it's like maybe a Coke can or something. And they just threw them out the window uh, on a moving car. It was like a public bus. And I asked about it and they said, oh, well, the bus is clean and this is trash. So it doesn't belong inside the bus. So they threw it outside. And I'm the opposite. I would put that trash in my car and think, oh, nature is not where the trash belongs. So I will keep it until I throw it away. So I think it's just the way people view trash. I think it will take many years. It will take generations to to understand. And I don't, you know, I I wonder what that is. If that's because, so... I was on Mabul, which is the other diving resort that Scuba Junkie owns, and their beach is, you know, spotless, super clean. But literally right next door is a fishing village, and it is disgusting. Like there's uh-huh. crap everywhere, and then there's plastic everywhere. 
And what had happened was, and this, you know, it was for the, for the, their their entire lives, everything that they would consume would be biodegradable. You know, it'd be wrapped in banana leaf or something. Then they would just throw it in the ground or throw it in the ocean. It wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. But then now it's cheaper for them to buy packaged noodles or, you know, cans of Coke or, you know, like these two cent candy things that are all wrapped in plastic. And they got used to just throwing it on the ground. True. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So to me, it made sense. But then what didn't make sense to me is after two months or after a year and they still see it didn't degrade, wouldn't some you know village elder or someone smart be like, it looks like this stuff doesn't melt or go away. Let's stop throwing it everywhere. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it could also be from our viewpoint uh, it's one of those, like in California, when people would ask us, oh, you live in this this paradise, like, why would you want to travel? To them, it's almost like you take for granted how beautiful it is. When we see these incredible tropical islands and these vacations, we think, oh, I would pay anything to live here. A vacation here would be amazing. And to them, it's just home. So maybe they just don't value the beauty in it any- I can defi- as much. I can definitely I'm not see sure. that. Like, for them, it's home. It's their life. Yeah. And they don't know a difference in that. But as my home, I would want it to be clean. Like, I want to have trash around my home. Why would I have trash in, like, my front yard? Yeah. No, that that is true. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, and, and it's one of those things where I don't know if it's our place to try to instill our values on other people. Right. But at the same time, maybe it is. Yeah. I think in that piece, it definitely is because it's not just their home. It's the entire environment. And once that trash is into the ocean, it's... Kind of everybody's world and everyone's home. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's nice about scuba divers or people that go underwater is we actually see what happens. And I think we make a connection to it. You know, we, it's, it's like we experience it firsthand and we want to preserve it because we want to be able to share these memories with like our future generations. So I think everyone should make it a point to go diving. Yeah. 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 I like it. So how long did you save up for this trip? Well, that's actively saving was one one full year. That was active. I had already had extra savings in the bank. So I would say that in the year of active saving, that maybe paid for half the trip. Uh, roughly half. The, yeah, about half the trip. And then the other half came from already saved money uh, for myself. For my fiance, he was very fortunate to work. He was a really good worker at an amazing company that gave him good stock that ended up being worth a good amount of money, a fair amount of money. Uh, so he was able to sell stock and that's how he was able to afford his his share of it. So he wasn't saving up at all? He did not save anything. <laughs> so did he know he was going to sell then? Like, or did, uh, he no, I mean, he just, he's worked at the same company for eight years and every year they give him X amount of stock and okay, it's so- just... Because he still has, he hasn't even sold half of what they they gave him in the end to to cover it. Nice. Um, so it's cool that you had this like long trip plan. Did you did you know it was going to be for almost two years or how long no. were you kind of traveling? <laughs> Originally, it was a one year one year trip, and even that is is amazing. But then once we were on the one year trip, and it would have finished, say this past January, it would have finished. We started talking, thinking, you know, we already quit the jobs. Uh, we didn't ask for a sabbatical. Actually, Alex asked for one year, and they told him no. So he said, oh, I'll take two. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll quit the job and just take it. So once we had already decided to quit the job, we thought about what adding the more trip would, would give us. And we thought it was worth it now that we had nothing essentially to go back to uh, versus trying to go back to work and then wanting to take six months or eight months further down the road. And even in the one year, we had made a list of all the places we wanted to see. And even in the 20 months, we're not even seeing all the places. There just is so much of the world and and you're never going to see it all. Okay. So before we jump to the places you've been, how, how did you prepare for this? Did you put things in storage? Did you sell things? Yes. We are... Apartment we were renting and our lease was already finished, so month to month. So that was the easiest, just give our notice. As far as all our belongings, we put it in storage and we just pay monthly storage. What uh, do you guys pay a month for storage? About $100 a month, I think. 200 200 wow, a month. That's a lot. Wow, it is a lot. That's rent in Asia. <laughs> it's not rent in San Diego. Yeah. We, ha- I mean, we had a lot of stuff. I had my car for 16 years and I sold it for $500. Wow, nice. What, what car was it? <laughs> it was a Honda Accord. They last forever. Yeah. Had 160,000 miles on it. Uh, and Alex, one of his, he had two cars one of them was we he sold and one of them he has a friend that's borrowing and just kind of maintaining till we get back he does have an apartment that he is just renting out but we weren't living in it anyway it was already being rented and he already has like a a company that's taking care of okay. that so. and is that cash flow positive yes okay that's great so you have a source of pretty, pretty much passive income while you got travel uh, kind of once you pay everything it's not much okay <laughs> So it did, probably yeah. just covers the uh, the the storage unit. Actually, is what it. So okay, well, that's in good. that sense, it's positive. Did you get rid of any of your furniture or stuff before you put it in storage? No, we didn't because this time we had recently. We didn't plan on on this trip. Was we did plan a year in advance, yes, but we hadn't planned two years in advance. So all of that furniture was roughly bought two years ago. We had moved into a great new place, and we had all of the same furnishings for 10 years, say. And so we got rid of all, we donated all the old and had just bought all this new stuff and we really love the stuff that we bought. So we said, you know, we'll keep it, put it in storage. Okay. That, that, that definitely makes sense. And I think that's kind of a, also a lesson for everyone is whenever you guys buy something, realize it's going to be a decision whether you either pay for storage or you can travel at all. Yeah. That's true. And for most of the stuff we got was all secondhand on Craigslist. And it was just pieces I really loved. It was like um, an old whiskey barrel bar turned into a bar table and that kind of those homey things you really love that I searched for. And they weren't necessarily expensive. I think that we're spending more in the storage unit than all of our stuff is worth. Is is worth. However, to me, it was worth more. I really love this stuff. It's a lot of artwork. Okay. We picked up pieces of artwork from different countries along the way, local artists, and really wanted to preserve that. That makes sense. Did you tell your... How far in advance did you tell your friends that you were coming on this trip? Did they know you were saving up and planning it? Kind of. Not not a full year in advance. Uh, we had already been taking lots of... Every month, we took a one-week vacation or two weeks vacation almost mm. for the before we started saving. That year, we did not take vacation. Uh, but... 
maybe six months before we started telling people and they kind of were like, oh, okay, whatever. You've had your job for eight years. Like they didn't really believe. I think they thought, oh, they might do it. They might not. And then as the day was approaching, it was like the, the two, two month mark. People started believing. <laughs> Did you do anything different to be able to save more money? Absolutely. Uh, we used to enjoy eating more meals out, not necessarily because it was more out of convenience, I think, because of our work schedule, working long hours, you get home, you don't want to cook dinner. And so it was just more convenient for us to spend the money, but we realized we were waste. it was more of a waste and we were spending so much on food uh, or even takeout. And really had to push ourselves to, to cook and, and make meals at home. I would say that's the largest change. Also, no, no real vacations, um, more taking advantage of living in San Diego. So we realized, you know, we live by the beach. We have stand up paddle boards, taking those out for the weekend instead of trying to go away on vacation somewhere. That makes sense. And lots of that. Any idea of what you were spending on food before, you know, when you were going out all the time and then after when you started cooking more? That's a good question. It's it's also not just I would say food takeaway takeout food, but also we belong to like an organic farming club that would deliver. Uh, that box was maybe fifty dollars every two weeks, which is well, the countries we're traveling in. Fifty dollars in organics will last you an entire month. Versus this was one week, <laughs> and it wasn't our entire source of food. Um, probably I would say eating out. Two days a week, maybe even three days a week, averaging maybe $60. We enjoy cocktails when we're out. <laughs> Before dinner, drink. An after dinner, drink. Maybe a glass of wine. <laughs> so, <laughs> between averaging 60, I would say. Maybe even 80. Yeah. Two, three times a week. And that, that adds up. That adds up. <laughs> and, okay, so how long can you eat for with $80 here? <laughs> uh, probably a month. <laughs> Maybe not a month, but definitely like at least a week, like if not yeah, more. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. And that's even going to restaurants. I find that in most of these countries, your the groceries are more expensive than going to an actual local restaurant that's doing local food. It's all, I mean, I guess also the key is that you know that all of the produce you're getting, all of the, the meat, the fish, anything you're getting is, is local. They're not really importing any vegetables from another country. It's all things that are in season, so it's all organic. It's all fresh. I don't know how much of it's organic. You're right. That's yeah, true. I, well, I think we like to think it is. We like to think. Well, at least it might not be organic, but it's still grown in soil. Yeah, that's true. And I don't really believe in California. A lot of things are still grown in soil. They're doing, you know, it's like the, the what is it? Hydro. Yes, exactly. And I think that takes a lot of the flavor away as it is. Mm. So we're getting... Better tasting food. <laughs> I mean, the food here definitely does taste different or better. I, I would say so much more flavor. It's, it's going to be hard for me to go back and order like Thai food or Indonesian food back home. True. And then pay $15 for it. That is true. For dish. <laughs> that is true. Uh, for me, living 20 minutes from Mexico, I'm incredibly hard on my Mexican food. I love Mexican I have a lot of Mexican friends that cook for me, very authentic meals. So traveling around the world, I'm incredibly critical with Mexican. And I find it, I can find it almost anywhere in the world, but it 
does not taste <laughs> like what I get in Southern yeah. California. And what's really funny <laughs> is when I meet like other travelers, they tell me how great Mexican restaurant is. They're, none of them are from California. Right. And <laughs> I, I'm like... I'm like, maybe this is good compared to your Australian Mexican food or your Mexican food in like England or Sweden, but this is terrible. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I feel the same. And I've even experienced that with friends that live in Boston when I've, I've gone to visit friends, friends from my original home and I've had Mexican food and I take one bite and say, oh my God, this is, this is horrible. Mine, ha- mine is, mine is awful. And they're like, oh, really? Let me try. They'll take a bite and say, oh, this is this is what we always get. This is great. And I'm like, great. There is no flavoring, no seasoning, no marinade. They just grilled this and told me it was a fajitas or a taco. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, I was in New York a few years ago and a friend was like, oh, yeah, they opened this new Mexican restaurant. It's really good. you know." And they're so excited about it. We get there and I'm like, this is Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> Like and it wasn't like it wasn't that it tastes like Chipotle. It was literally a Chipotle. <laughs> but out here in Asia, I've had. I try not to have Mexican food because I'm always disappointed. But I yeah. love Mexican food. That's the one thing I miss the most about California. Yeah, I would say even uh, a few times we've actually gone to the grocery in different countries, picked up the Ortega packets to make your own tacos, which is definitely not great. It will kind of do the job in that nostalgic something I did with my parents when we were little, but I, it's not it's not real Mexican. I think the biggest problem is not enough Mexican people travel. True. Especially like a Mexican cook or chef. True. And because of that, people from other countries have never actually tasted real Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also really hard to source the right ingredients. Right. And I think those two things kind of make it... Like almost impossible for people to make true good taste and authentic Mexican food outside of California, Mexico, that's maybe true. Texas, and definitely the cheese is a big factor. In many places, we've seen Mexican restaurants when we look at what they're serving, it's mozzarella cheese yeah. on their Mexican. <laughs> so, <laughs> cheese is definitely in there. So, you stayed for the, the, this big year. Mm-hmm. Where was the, the your first destination? Brazil. Okay. Why did you choose Brazil? We That was along the trip. Most of the time, we've had a lot of freedom and flexibility with knowing kind of a path we're taking, but not having to be anywhere for a certain number of time or, or a certain date. But that was one date we really wanted to see Carnival in Rio de Janeiro. Okay. So we knew Carnival was about the second week of February. So we knew we had X amount of travel days a month, five, six weeks before that. And then we wanted to be in Rio for Carnival. Okay. Was it worth it? Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't everything I expected it to be. Uh, if I were to do it again, I would do it in Salvador, Brazil, which is there. It's on the coast and it's their Afro-Brazilian culture and it has amazing music. It's uh, all local people will be doing drumming and it's where Capoeira, the Brazilian street fighting, started. So we had been there before Carnival and there were... A group of maybe 30 female drummers marching on the streets, drumming to hand drums and, and singing and people dancing, capoeira, street fighting. And I was disappointed with Rio Carnival because it definitely, the, the drinking was there. It was big in a party, but the music scene was not there. And I've gone to Jazz Fest in Montreal and in New Orleans. I've done even, um, 
Mardi Gras in New Orleans, and those were much more music-oriented. And I was just surprised that you'd have a blocko where it would be a carnival that would parade through playing music. Once it passed, there would be hundreds, if not thousands, of people just drinking in the street with no music, no sound, just drinking. And I thought, I, I've done this in college. I could do this anywhere. I wanted more more of like a, just a music vibe, live music, even if it was non-live, just something. The costumes uh, for the actual party goers were also disappointing, kind of like, you know, college, sexy, Halloween, I'm going to be a bunny. But the Sambadrome was absolutely breathtaking. Sambadrome were the big parades they've practiced for an entire year, and they have music and costumes, and there was even a guy on one of those... The, the launcher, the the water launcher where you have under your feet and it skyrockets you oh, into the cool. air. Nice. I can't remember what it's called, but there was one of those on a float, a moving float. And he was in this pool and he was supposed to be uh, one of the the god of, of water. Uh, Poseidon. Yes. And he would just fly up and do this performance. So it was amazing. It was That's like cool. a circus. Okay. And, and so it sounds like Rio is, you know, the bigger, more popular version, but... Often it's kind of finding these like traveler tips that maybe the second biggest or the second you know like the second tier cities you normally more authentic. Yeah, true. So that okay, where was what was after Brazil? Uh, Brazil into Argentina. Okay, and then Antarctica. How how do you go from South America to like north north north? Ah uh, yes, well we we started in Brazil and went all the way down and then came up the side. So we finished in Peru. And we decided to fly to, from there, we flew to Egypt, Jordan, and then de- back down to Africa. I'm, I'm so confused. How, how'd you get to Antarctica? <laughs> so, we start, so we started in Brazil and traveled around Brazil into Argentina and then and Uruguay and then continued going south all into Patagonia oh, you know all what? the yeah. way to the southern tip of, of Argentina, I, which I is Ushuaia. How, I just realized how bad my geography is. You were thinking, thinking the, the Arctic. North Pole. <laughs> yeah. You were thinking the Arctic. Arctic, okay. Uh, and so Ushuaia is one of the biggest spots around the world. I'm they're one of them. Another place you can go, I think is Cape town. I, th- I believe it's South Africa. And then maybe Australia uh, to go, if you want to go to Antarctica. So it was definitely for us, it was a huge splurge. It was above and beyond worth it. Best place I've ever really? been in my life. Why? Absolutely. Uh, well, originally we were in Ushuaia, hadn't planned on going. The trips are cruises about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And they can cost you up to $15,000 per person. That's insane. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy money. And we were concerned that maybe we were only doing it to get that seventh. Were yeah, we doing it to get the seventh yeah. continent or were we actually interested in seeing Antarctica? And being down there the day before we bought the ticket, we were able to get a last minute deal, mm. which was still extremely expensive. We paid $6,000 per person. For how, it, how long of a trip? Uh, two weeks. Okay. That's two weeks. a lot. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of money, but um, oh my God, it was so worth it. Also, I was reluctant at first. I knew that there would be whales and seals and icebergs, but most of our trips, our best stories have to do with uh, people we've met, like uh, the cultural experiences. And Antarctica has no cultural experiences no people. since no people live there. So we thought, you know, how, how are we going to... Sub- subsidize that part but being on a cruise for two weeks with the same group of people all the 
adventure travelers. It takes a certain type of person. Yeah, I think the type of people that go to Antarctica are very different. Ah, uh, yes. And a, a lot of them were maybe older than us, but they had even more amazing experiences. People that have climbed Everest, people that were... We had the doctor on board had been a doctor in the Alps doing... Um, doing uh, avalanche control, things like this. So he had these crazy stories of these adventure trips he had done. So the people were great. Uh, the ice was unbelievable. We saw fast-moving ice. We were on a huge ship. Uh, icebergs were amazing. We did stand-up paddle boarding around the icebergs. Wow. So that did was breathtaking. Uh, I did not. My fiancé did. He was the only Ooh. one. We, we wore dry suits. Okay. We, we did do the polar plunge. So nice. in, in a bathing suit, I jumped. It was one degree Celsius, which is, I don't know, like very, very cold. Uh, they tied around me a harness in case I kind of went into shock. The minute I hit the water, I was like, it's cold, it's cold. And they kind of yanked me back onto the ship. Uh, they had, did have a hot tub, though, on board. Nice. So I was able to warm up. Was the the harness optional? Did people jump without it? No, no. You had to have the harness, but you could. they let you swim back if you're capable. Oh, okay. <laughs> My friend, uh, Sam Marsh, who's the co-host of my other podcast, he did the polar plunge naked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he said it was fun to jump in, but then getting back on the dinghy, or well, not a dinghy, like, but just basically getting back onto the boat mm-hmm. and getting pulled up by like you know the, this beautiful Russian uh, staff member, <laughs> he, he realized he'd just been in ice water. He's like, that was the most embarrassing <laughs> moment of his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our, ours was pretty good, I have to say. And the water was so much colder than the air that the minute you got out, you were warm. Wow. You were like, insane. wow. It, well, And I, I had been freezing before jumping in. But they have no pollution there at all. There's no air pollution, no pollution of any kind. So you could see for miles. My eyes just, it looked like a dream. Just wow. so so fake. Like nothing I'd seen. <sighs> You know, I, I hate you. I, I, I just gotta added go. something else to my go. list now. I know. This is, this well, is that, what sucks. This is what be, That should be on everybody's list. I mean, we saw pods of six orca whales along with humpback whales, minke whales. Leopard seal was my big, big thing I wanted to see. They're only in Antarctica, and they can be 12 feet long. Wow. They're the king of all seals. They actually eat other seals. For did dinner. You, did you see one? <laughs> we did. We saw about three, I think, total. And they have the face of a, the body of a seal with the face of a lizard. That's they look insane. very prehistoric. I mean, they're amazing. Now, I really want to go now. Like, I genuinely want to go now. This yeah. is insane. You should. Okay. All right. So, you've done a lot of trips, a lot of countries. What were some of the top ones besides Antarctica that kind of right. people had to do? Well, I think what made the places that were number one, number one for me were because places I didn't expect much, things I didn't really know. So Nepal was one of those. Uh, we spent three weeks trekking the Annapurna circuit and I didn't really know what to expect. Um, the scenery it being in the Himalayas was amazing. Also, all these little villages you pass in the mountains, seeing these incredibly nice people in a very kind of old way of life still, the way, living the same way today as they did maybe a hundred years ago. Uh, Vietnam was also very, very high on my list. Uh, Vietnam had amazing beaches. They have great diving, but then they also had rice paddies and they also have mountains you can trek in and, and see beautiful things. 
South America's always, always a big seller. Patagonia was fantastic. I consider myself a beach person. So I think I've been to a lot of beach destinations in my life. So the mountains are really on this trip. What blew my mind because I love warm weather. I love scuba diving and being in all these, these mountain landscapes were really, really beautiful. Uh, like talking about this and, you know, we're, we're literally sitting on a beach. Yeah. So <laughs> like it's, it's, it's almost kind of hard, hard to describe. We're basically in the, I don't know, lobby reception of this dive resort. It's called Scuba Junkie Komodo and it's in the middle of nowhere. It's on the island of Flores and we are probably 20 meters away from the border of the Komodo National Park. And they picked this, this location because it's the closest you can be to being in the national park without being in it because it's, they're not allowing any new construction in there. And it's night now, but just, you know, when we started recording this, it was, the sun was setting. It was gorgeous. We we're on a beach, some of the, like the most beautiful landscape. And I think now when you're talking about Antarctica and then you're talking about the mountains, I'm like, I need to change. I, I've been to too many beaches. <laughs> Well, you can never go to too many beaches. Uh, for me on this trip, I think my favorite beach is South America and Brazil. They have an island called Ilha Grange, Grand Island. And it's very actually close to Rio, maybe two hours. It has a beach that is mile of white sand stretch beach. It's absolutely breathtaking. I believe it's called Lopez. Maybe beach Lopez. It's unbelievable. As far as Thailand, the Trang Islands, I thought, were oh. so unbelievable to me. Never even heard of it. Oh, my gosh. They're, they're kind of on the southern side, south of Koh Lanta, actually. About two hours from Koh Lanta, they and have... Nobody goes south of Koh Lanta. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, we traveled south, and then from there, it's another two hours into Malaysia. So the Trang Islands were the most beautiful landscape I've ever seen for, for a beach, I think, maybe in my life. Wow, okay. To All be right. in there. Uh, Co Co Creighton was the most beautiful, I think. Yeah, that's cool that you you really got off the beaten path. Yes, well, that was I think the main part of our trip. People keep asking us, "Oh, are you going to Australia, New Zealand?" And they're actually not on our list because we find them to be very easy to get to from the states. Even though I'd love to go to Australia, never been. They're just so easy for us and accessible. We wanted to go to places that are going to take you longer and having two weeks vacation in the States, maybe you can do it. But some of the places we've been, if you do it that way, it will be a lot more money. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And the thing is, like places like Australia are not that different from the US. That's true. I think people go because <laughs> it's di- it's different, but they still speak English. Right. Everything's still easy. And to me, it's like, what's the point? True. Well, I do think that most people do would go there because they speak English. I think a lot of people I know that are that don't travel much, one of their biggest fears is not knowing a language. And while I don't think you should be naive and assume everyone in the world speaks English, the truth is a lot of people do speak English or can work with you, even hand gestures, knowing just a few words. A lot of receptionists will know at hotels English and that should definitely not be a deterrent in traveling. You would miss out on uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot of the world if you stu- if you stayed in English speaking countries. Yeah, I, I definitely like that. So, I think 
what you and your fiance are doing are, are, is super cool. I think it's kind of it's big. It's a big inspiration. A lot of people. Uh, do you have any advice to people who are at home working a job that you know maybe you know maybe their life is like is is decent, maybe it's good, right. but they they secretly want some of this adventure, right? Well, you, you know, a friend of mine just emailed me asking me advice because she's in a point where she likes the job she's in, but she's not in love with it. So she's currently, and same thing with her apartment. She's renting. She likes her place, but she wants something better. So she was trying to decide whether she should look for the new new job, look for the new apartment, and get something she truly, truly loves and continuing to live her great life, or if she should take a time out quit the job, quit the apartment, do some traveling. Uh, she was actually looking into teaching English online is what she wanted to do. And I told her, do the trip. Yeah. If she gets the good job, the good apartment, she's not going to then travel and give those up. But she can always get the good apartment she wants and the great job she wants later in life. I, I, I think people always talk about the regrets you have later in life. And Traveling is most people's on most people's list, not going someplace or not experiencing something new. I love it. And, and I think every single person I, I've met on these travels, everyone who, who I've had on this podcast, they, they all do the same. And I, and I really believe that everyone listening to this, if you haven't been traveling yet, you will also feel the same once yeah. you start doing it. Yeah. And I've never met a single person that quit their job to travel or or even maybe took just a sabbatical that regretted it and said, oh, I wish I didn't travel. <laughs> I wish I had just stuck with my career or job. Yeah, That's never it, been a thing. And it, it always works out. Like, you would think that there's a lot of people that would go back and be like, oh, man, like, you know, I couldn't find, you know, I'm losing money now or my house isn't as nice as it used to, you know, my last one was or I'm out of savings. Or you would think that would happen because logically that would make sense. Right. I don't, I, I literally and, don't think it's ever, I've never met someone right. who's, who said that. Right. And even, even my fiance, he does computer, he does, he's a software programmer for a biotech company. So a lot of people had asked him, Oh, aren't you so nervous taking almost two years out? There are going to be younger people than you. Uh, anytime when you're working with computers, it changes so quickly. And they said, aren't you concerned that you're going to be behind, that you'll need to play catch up? And he said, you know, if I need to play catch up, I'll play catch up. I'm not going to, that's not going to stop me from seeing the world and exploring just because I'm concerned that I might have to do a little more work to get a job I want. Because at the end of the day, it's worth it, right? Absolutely. I love it. Always. All right. I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. If people want to get in touch, are you... Do you have a blog? Do you have Twitter? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I'm very far behind on a blog, yes. <laughs> it's www.nolimitwonderlust. So W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T, nolimitwonderlust.com. And it's the same name, No Limit Wonderlust, for my Instagram account. And my Facebook page. So we're kind of bad, to be honest, about putting out the blog. But we're great about every month we do our best 30 photos a month. Because mm. we realize people are more interested in seeing 30 photos than everything else of ours. I, I can see that. <laughs> uh, are you going to have any photos of the, of the manas? Absolutely. Okay. There will be manda pics. And tomorrow morning, uh, all of us are headed on a trek to actually see the Komodo dragons. Yes, I'm very excited. So by the time this episode comes out, you, you should have some photos of us with the Komodos. <laughs> True. And if not, 
I think I'm going to stay on the side until I get a good photo with the Komodo dragon. So True. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> I think you'll get one tomorrow. We'll, 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 we'll see. <laughs> Here, here's crossing our fingers. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's enjoy the rest of our trip. Good, yeah. good luck traveling. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I also want to give a big shout out to our sponsor for this week. It is tripstreak.com. Uh, the next time you guys need to book a flight, either out to Komodo or to maybe Antarctica, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. I'll see all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.